Heard an interesting definition of patience the other day. Patience is something you admire in the driver behind you and resent in the one in front of you. Anyway, this is lesson number 11, the glory of God. And last Sunday, I thought from that moment forward, God was going to let me start getting into some of these things that just magnify his power, his abilities, the miracles that he performed, just draw our attention to him. And Sunday morning while Brother Mark was preaching, the Lord started opening my understanding. And I thought that the Lord really started with this thing back in Psalms 50:15 with me, which is what I've already told you. Go back and start where he started with me. That's not where he started with me. What he showed me was something that precedes that. Look over at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is real familiar verses, or at least if it's not, it ought to be. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So what God's telling you there is, is I've written every single thing there for you. And you have everything you need to accomplish all of those things. Perfect and total provision. You got everything you need. He's talking to a preacher primarily there. But he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those things apply to us directly. I'll go over to Hebrews 12, 11. Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. He said it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it may lead, in that case, to provision, and it may lead to perfection. The first one, may. The second one says, it's going to lead to these things, but also if you go back and it says in verse 7, if ye endure chastening. So that's only a maybe also. He's given you everything you need, and his chastening may lead to righteousness. What makes the difference? Our response. That's what makes the difference. And we're just like children. You ever discipline a child? Did it get the results you wanted every time? No, <laughs> it didn't. You know what's wrong with that kid? He's got his eyes on himself. That's what's wrong with him. Kid doesn't understand things simply because he's all about himself. Anyway, back to Jeremiah again, 924. We're going to catch back up here pretty soon, and there will be a point to all of this. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So it can also lead to righteousness. If it leads to righteousness, you know where the righteousness leads us? Right back to God. Now you've got an idea what righteousness means, don't you? You know, most people would say, if I said, what's righteousness? You know what you'd say? You'd say holiness. That's what we get through the blood of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. How do you know that? You know that because he says, it's chastening 
leads to righteousness, not the blood. He said, well, I thought righteousness was like pure holiness, like God. God is righteous. Well, I thought I'd get like God. I thought that's what I got through the blood. No, you don't. You don't get that at all. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is comprehending holy principles and affections. It's being righteous and wise or right and wise, and it's your manner of action. That's what righteousness is. It's not something you get the minute you get saved and all of a sudden now I'm righteous. It's not what it is at all. Basically, it comes down to understanding. Why? Because it's comprehending principles. You know what comprehending is? If you comprehend something, you understand it. Oh, that's interesting. Glory in this, that he knoweth me and understandeth me. Isn't that strange how all that stuff just kind of ties right back together? It's all woven together. So the scriptures tell you everything you need to know. Then over there, he tells you that his chastening, if you endure it, will lead to the righteousness. Then he tells you over here, if you're going to glory in something, glory in the fact that you understand me and know me. Well, where does that come from? It comes from the righteousness. Where's the righteousness come from? His chastening. You say, man, that sounds like a tough way to get it. <laughs> you know what's worse, don't you? Getting beat up with no purpose. You get nothing back for it. My wife was talking about this morning about my son. Uh, he was over there yesterday and helping with a swimming pool for her. And his wife was saying that he thought a certain actor on a movie was named so-and-so. And his wife said, no, it's not. He said, uh, oh, yeah, it is. I'll prove it. He goes and he gets this thing, you know, and he looks at it. He was wrong. He goes, well, I was wrong. <laughs> you know what the problem there is? The problem is the same problem I'm talking about right now. You say, you're going to get on your son? Oh, man, are you kidding? It's not like he's the only one that ever sinned on this earth. You know that, don't you? <laughs> What's the problem? The problem is he didn't benefit from that example. You know what that's supposed to do? That's supposed to lead to a little bit more humility. And if it doesn't lead to humility, guess what it does? You just dismiss it, disregard it. <laughs> I was wrong and go on about your life. No, it's supposed to lead back to a little more humility. And you stop and think, oh, I'm not always right. Now, that's twice I've been wrong. But the first time, I just thought I was, and I wasn't. <laughs> Those things are supposed to lead to something. What the worst thing that can happen to a kid is just beat them and beat them, and they never get the message. You know, the revolving door in a prison? They never get it. They never get it. That's sad, isn't it? Did you know understanding is kind of like, do you get it? How many of you understood algebra? How many of you understood trigonometry? How many of you understood calculus? Yeah, I never even heard of them. <laughs> no, there's a bunch of that stuff you get into it. You don't understand that. If this equals this and this equals this, and what's that? <laughs> so, man, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> you lack understanding. The reason we don't get it is because we don't understand it. Now, why don't we understand it? What's the problem here? Let's go back over to Mark real quick. Mark 4, 35. We were there last week. Mark 4, 35 to 41. And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with them other ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat upon the ship so that it was now full. 
And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and they said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? You realize that all of those people right there were his disciples? They were his quote-unquote entourage. They were the closest ones to him. You know what he had to ask them in the face of this miracle? Why is it that you're so afraid? And why is it that you have no faith? And you know what? Not a one of them got it, according to what you read right there. But you got to remember, Mark wrote that. You say, well, did any of them get it? I would almost say, certainly, if any of them got it, it would have been John. John's a different character. He's different. His approach to everything is different. You read the Gospels, and I can tell you this without any hesitation, my favorite one of them Gospels is John. When I read John, boy, that thing just warms my heart toward God like none of the other ones do. You know, if you're all about logic and reason, you know, and facts and figures, then you probably get more out of Luke. But John, that thing's about God. That is so much about God that he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't start out by saying, you know, having perfect knowledge, therefore I write these things unto you, you know, so you'll understand what's going on. John, it just starts out, man, <laughs> and it's all about God. So if any of them got it, he probably did. But Mark writing it, Mark wrote it from his perspective, and his perspective was, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and sea is obey him? They're all fearful. After it's over, they're afraid. Now let me ask you this. As a Christian, you ever been fearful? Yes. Yep. You ever been without faith? Why? Why? You say, man, I can't answer that either. You know what this scripture's for? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That's what it's for. What's righteousness for? Lead us back to God. So when you find something in the Word of God that you can't understand like that, and you know he's not just talking to them about this incident, he's talking to us also. It's profitable for us. Would you like to be different? How would you like to feel totally different about this business where you are not fearful and you do have faith? God wants every one of us to get it. You say, you guys keep talking about that, get it. Don't you get it, don't you get it? It's understanding, that's what it is. It's understanding this issue of God. And before last Sunday morning, I couldn't explain it. In fact, I think it was Sunday night, it was a situation with Amy and Chris and she was coming back, she said, well, don't you think other people get it? Why don't they get it? Now I know why they don't get it. Now I know why I didn't get it for years and years and years. She said, why is that? Well, just stick with me here. Let's look back over at Matthew 14, 21 to 33. This is another interesting story real quick. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now that doesn't have anything to do with the story, but you understand that he just finished a major miracle. You know how big that miracle was? He reminds them later on, he said, don't you remember when I did this stuff? You know what he does this stuff for? He does it for us to be edified. He does it for our understanding. And we just keep missing it. And they missed it over and over and over. 
And then he moves on. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. You know, none of them bothered saying, well, how are you going to get over there, Lord? At least they were obedient, you know. He says, you guys get in the ship, take off, man. I'll catch you later. <laughs> okay, I guess so, you know. What's he got in mind? I don't know what he's got in mind. He just said, sail, man. We're going to weigh anchor. Let's get out of here, you know. They get out in the middle and the sea starts going on, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. <laughs> it's a ghost, look out there. <laughs> but straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee onto the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Man, you realize he's the only human being, the only sinner ever walked on the water? That's some kind of a thing, you know that? Verse 30, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? And that's a real similar situation. And once again, Jesus Christ asked Peter, just like he asked him before, why are you fearful and why are you have no faith? And he turns around and asks Peter another question. Why did he ask him? Did the Lord know why? Yes, he did. <laughs> you know what he wants? He asks these questions of us so that we will think about these things. So we'll consider what's going on. Now I'm gonna to have to back up just a little bit to get this thing at least the way I understand it. Why do people have children? Brother Bob's just like me. <laughs> I never figured that out a day in my life, have you? <laughs> That's right. That's the honest truth. I'm almost 60 years old. Up until just this morning, I never understood why people had children. My brother doesn't have any kids. I would have never had any kids. I didn't want any kids. You see, why not? Was your childhood that bad? It wasn't really a feeling like that. Do you know what kids were to me? They were kind of fun to watch and entertaining a little bit, and I liked to interact with them a little bit, but they were nothing but an expense. They were gonna take my time. They were gonna frustrate my efforts. They were gonna be inconvenient. They were gonna bring me heartache, and they were a massive amount of trouble. Now you tell me why on earth somebody wants to go sign a contract like that. What do you get for your trouble, broken heart? What do you get for your money? You get a teenager that thinks they're smarter than you that'll take your car out and wreck the crazy thing or go out drinking or go out and do drugs and get lousy grades, won't clean their room, they just add to the bills and the expenses and they use up everything that you provide for. Why do you want a kid like that? You say, man, looking at it like that, nobody want a kid. <laughs> Now, you know that all these things that we feel, every emotion we feel either comes from God or from Satan, every one of them. And every bad thing on this earth is a good thing twisted. That's what it is. You say, well, what about pride? Does God have pride? When you relate anything back to God, you know God is holy. 
if God looks at himself and he says, I am that I am, and he makes other comments about himself, you say, well, is that pride? No, it's not. Is he boasting? No, he's not. He's just telling you the truth. The rest of us, we boast like that. Our attention's on ourselves. And that's pride. Here's the other perspective. I asked Joan this morning, I said, why'd you want kids? Her answer just actually floored me. I thought, I never thought like that. I still don't think that way. <laughs> she said, I wanted to give life. She said, I wanted to participate in the miracle of birth. Now, there were some things about that that were pretty miraculous. I got to be in there and watch those two kids get born, watch God do something. I mean, that's God doing some stuff, man. <laughs> He's doing some stuff. <laughs> we are fearfully and wonderfully made. She wanted to have a son to carry on the name. That was her desire. That didn't mean she's gonna have a son, it just, that was her desire. She said, I wanted something that loved me unconditionally. <laughs> Later on, the kid says, I wish you weren't my mom. <laughs> kind of disappointing there, isn't it? I wasn't what I anticipated. <laughs> she wanted somebody to depend upon her, to feel a sense of need. She wanted to watch them grow. I mean, if you're a woman, you probably respond to these things. I mean, you know, I see a head or two nodding back there. Yeah, you probably respond to that. She wanted somebody she could teach and to train and to influence. That's what she wanted. Do you know none of those things are self-serving? Isn't that interesting? Woman's motive for having a kid is not for me, at least hers wasn't. It wasn't for me. I want my kid. This is going to be mine, you know. It wasn't that way at all. Totally different. The difference is I'm self-serving and she's not. You know what that is an attribute of? Charity seeketh not her own. That's more understanding of God. God is love. Why in the world does God want us anyway? I just told you why. Where do you think those feelings come from? Those feelings come directly from God. And he puts them inside of a woman to accomplish his purpose. That's why. Because if he left it up to the men, believe me, boy, this world would die off quick. We'd find a way out. Anyway, look over at Isaiah 14, 12 to 14 real quick. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down from the ground which did waken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan is self-serving. Now, don't misunderstand me. My life for 35 years or 36 years with her has not been about self-serving. I didn't feel that way. But it was about my ambitions, my desires, my goals, the things that I wanted to accomplish, the things that I provided for. Yeah, she was there. And yes, did I love her? Yes, of course I did. Did we have a kid? Yes. Why? Because I wanted to do something she wanted to do, man. She wanted to do it. I said, I can't live with this thing constantly beating me to death. You know, it's not going to go away. 
no amount of rational thought process was going to erase those feelings. And so, okay, you know what? I love having kids now. Those things are from God. When we find these things, we start to understand some things differently. Like what? Back over there in Hebrews 4.12. Now listen to this. This is great. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my opinion. Hebrews 4.12. This is really interesting. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, you get that soul and spirit, right? You don't get the joints and marrow, do you? You know, for years, they couldn't figure out where blood came from. You know where it comes from now, don't you? It comes from the marrow. Life of the flesh is in the blood. There's a lot more written into that than you or I either one understand. There's some stuff going on there. And then he says, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What is this? This thing right here discerns your thoughts and intents, and it goes beyond anybody's ability to understand those things. It gets way out there. Now back over to Psalm 50:15, and we'll close here. I'll have to get into more of this stuff next week. But Psalms 50:15, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. And I've said this, but I didn't understand it. Psalms 50:15, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. The reason. We don't get it. The reason I didn't get it for years and years and years was because I'm primarily a self-serving Christian. My life has been about me, what I do, how I feel, my actions, my duties, my responsibilities. I was just about doing what I needed to do and about myself. The reason I started to understand Psalms 50:15 was because when Joan went through what she went through, God got my attention off of me. He took it off of me totally and completely for a substantial period of time. My attention was focused strictly on her, what she felt, how she was hurting. Was she going to get better? What could I do? And it stayed that way for so long, even after she came home, that when I went over and I read that verse for the first time, my heart was different. You know what I looked at before? I'd read that and I'd say, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. Man, there's how I benefit from that verse. I just need to call upon him in the day of trouble and he'll deliver me. What a promise. Oh man, that's great, God. Wrong. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Why? because it's a discerner in the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What am I trying to say? I missed God. Because as long as my attention's on me, I couldn't find God. You know what Brother Mark's been telling you for the last several months? The Word of God's different to him. The Bible's different. When he picks it up and reads it, he finds God everywhere. You know why? Because he's not about himself. You know why they don't get it? Why are you fearful? Why are you without faith? Why are you unbelieving, Peter? It's because as soon as your attention's back on yourself, it's off of God. When you start to read this book, and he's the primary thing, you see God everywhere. Your relationship with him's totally different. The Bible's totally different. 
And we're going to start looking next week at the things that cause people to get their attention back on themselves and off of God and onto God and off of themselves and start trying to understand this thing from the perspective God wants us to understand it because I'm still convinced as I can be God wants us all to get this thing. But just like a parent doesn't explain every detail to a child when they tell them something to do because it's too complicated for them to understand, they just tell them what to do. But you want them to get it on their own. That's exactly how God is, just like a parent. Let's close in prayer.